he's like throwing bottles that he's drunk of alcohol and there's so many like so many bottles <laughs> it's like something he shouldn't like shouldn't be standing no or driving or driving at all <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. We're so thrilled to have you with us for another episode about another play. Yeah, thanks for tuning back in. We're really excited for this one, as we always are for our shows. But this one, we return again to a Pulitzer Prize winning play. We tend to do a lot of those um, on this podcast. Uh, That's right. You know, we have that mission to do theater's best scripts. And there's lots of great scripts. And some of theater's best scripts, of course, never won the Pulitzer Prize. And the Pulitzer Prize is not a barometer for greatness or anything like that. But it's a good place to go to look for good drama a lot of the time. And today, we're definitely discussing one of those pieces of great, great drama. Yeah, and literature as well. Like a lot of this play is about reading, and so that's that's a that's a hotbed to go for reading. But I agree that this this play is filled with drama, filled with some dark comedy, filled with some uh, tension, family tension. We are of course talking about Buried Child by Sam Shepard. That's right, Sam Shepard. We've discussed him before. Our last script that we talked about of his was True West, and now we are returning again to that bastion of American drama, Mr. Shepard. Yeah. This is one of his better. Known own plays and one of those ones that's just got a lot of I don't know craziness in it to me <laughs> right definitely I, I like that you bring up true West in the context of that this is kind of one of his other family plays uh this 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 play is uh, amongst the category of, of plays that he writes about kind of families that have gone run terribly amok and uh say so yeah, I'm excited to jump into the conversation about it I am as well, but before we get there, we do want to ask everybody to go ahead and go on over to patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. At patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, you can become a supporter of the show. Jackson and I love what we do. We love the work. We love talking about plays. It's just not free to do. And so we need your help to continue to support the work that is going on. Please head on over there. There's a couple different levels you can join at. The lowest one's $1 a month. And seriously, $1 a month is hugely helpful to us. So please go ahead and go on over there. If you join at any level, you can access patron-only posts that occur over there on Patreon. So we hope you'd be interested in joining that community as well. Again, please head on over, patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast. Yeah, yeah. And we will see you over there. Now, back to the script. Yes, back to the script. I'm going to real quick give you some context on this script. Again, we've kind of talked about its its, fa- its fame. Um, it uh, Its first production was out at the Magic Theater in San Francisco in June 27th of 1978. That production uh, ran out in San Francisco, and there was a, a production in New York as well, but it was an off-Broadway production, and notably, this play won the Pulitzer in 1979. This is one of the few plays that won the Pulitzer after having only an off-Broadway production. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah, so the, the those original productions, I'm looking over the names, and I don't recognize any of the names on the list, but that play included names like Joseph Gasteriak, uh, Catherine Willis out in San Francisco, uh, those playing Dodge and Haley, the patriarch and matriarch of the family, as we'll find out as we go along. But then the uh, on-Broadway production was Richard Hamilton and Jacqueline Brooks playing those roles. The play has had a number of revivals. Uh, Broadway did a revival in 1996. And then uh, off-Broadway in 2016 as well was another revival, which was then brought over to the West End. And that uh, has some names that we would recognize with Ed Harris and Amy Madigan playing Dodge and Haley. And then the West End production having Charlotte Hope and Jeremy Irvin in it. So uh, names that we recognize, this is a play that has done quite a lot. Again, it's a family play, so it's it's rife with drama, great roles for folks. And uh, I'll, I'll let uh, Jacob jump in with some synopsis as we, as we get into that. Yeah, also notable. Gary Sinise directed a Steppenwolf production of this show and when that production occurred Sam Shepard did a a kind of a retreatment of some of the places in the script so mostly you'll see now the revised edition of Buried Child is what's out there and that's what you'd want to perform if you were going to get the rights to it or anything like that and I love seeing the connection to Gary Sinise that Gary brought to Sam's 
Shepard some of the things that, you know, as a group, they wanted to continually adjust about the script. And Sam Shepard did that. And, and in the foreword of my script, he says, you know, thanks to Gary and that cast, because the work that I was able to do on the script made it a much stronger play. And that's always fun to see a, a playwright recognize the that the rewrites later on and this was after winning the Pulitzer Prize <laughs> yeah. after it had received off Broadway after it had received review upon review of amazing praise he still said I need to go back and revise that because it needs to be a better play than it is I think that's right. really cool yeah it kind of speaks to the the ever-evolving nature of plays and when they're performed for different audiences at different times it, it changes things that's right. So Buried Child is about a American family. They live on a farm plot in rural Illinois. The matriarch and patriarch, as Jackson said, Dodge and Haley. Uh, Dodge 70s, Haley mid 60s. And at the beginning of the play, Dodge is very sick. We learn that pretty much right away. He's coughing his lung out on a couch in a very kind of dirty, grungy farmhouse living room. He and Haley have an extended conversation with Haley upstairs in her bedroom uh, about a variety of things. Here's some notable things that they talk about. They talk about the fact that one of their sons, Ansel, has died. They talk about the fact that Tilden, their oldest son, is now living with them again, and he has had some trouble in New Mexico where he used to live. Uh, they also mention that Bradley, the I think the he's I don't know where in the order he falls, but he's not the oldest because Tilden's the oldest. They say that a lot. Yep. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they mention also that Bradley's going to come over and cut Dodge's hair, which Dodge really doesn't want him to do. In fact, Dodge is wearing a baseball cap to protect his head from Bradley when Bradley chooses to come over. Eventually, Tilden comes in. He's got a bunch of corn from the backyard. There's an argument about where this corn came from because apparently there hasn't been corn in their backyard since like the Dust Bowl. But Tilden says no. There's a whole bunch of corn growing out there now again. Uh, then Haley comes down. She is off to see the Reverend Father Dewis, who Dodge, I think, knows pretty openly is, I guess, her lover, or he at least suspects that of her. Um, so she takes off for that, telling Dodge that Tilden really needs to stay out of the backyard. Don't let Tilden go in the backyard. we got to take care of Tilden. She disappears. Tilden shucks a bunch of corn, drops all the corn husks onto Dodge on the couch, steals Dodge's whiskey. Dodge is a... Uh, consummate alcoholic and has had whiskey hidden under the couch cushions dodge is asleep tilden steals it disappears bradley comes over while dodge is asleep and shaves his head that's the end of act one act two we awaken to see dodge's head is shaved close and bloody uh, apparently he <laughs> bradley did not do a good job and suddenly we realize why dodge really didn't want his head shaved right <laughs> um this introduces Vince and Shelly. They appear. They are... Vince is the son of Tilden, the son of Dodge. So Dodge is his grandfather. Vince and Shelly come. Shelly's Vince's girlfriend. And Vince has not been around for, he says, six years. Although the, the exact number of years has floated around a little bit between the family members. But he hasn't been around. He shows up and is very confused when Dodge doesn't recognize him at all. Tilden eventually comes in. Tilden doesn't recognize him at all. This is very distressing to everybody. Dodge really wants some alcohol. That's pretty much the only thing he cares about in the scene. But Vince is very concerned that nobody knows who he is. He eventually disappears to think things through and to get Dodge some whiskey. She leaving Shelly, his girlfriend, who doesn't know any of these people, alone right. in the house. Just completely alone. Uh, Tilden and Shelly uh, have a conversation where Tilden shares that there was a baby that has gone missing and that only Dodge knows where this baby Baby is and Tilden is really it's a secret among the family that's pretty clear Tilden's sharing it with her and uh, that kind of ends act two act oh no that's not the end of act two because Bradley comes in at the end of act two right scares Tilden away and like sticks his fingers in Shelley's mouth really yeah really weird gross moment um Act three, uh, people wake up. Uh, it's the next morning. Shelly spent the night in the house. Apparently she was hiding from Bradley for much of the night. Uh, Haley shows back up with her lover, Father Dewis, holding a handful of roses. There's lots of arguments about why the house is in disarray. Uh, Shelly is really upset about the way she's been treated. Eventually, Dodge reveals the family secret, which is that she Haley and Tilden, her son had a child together, and Dodge has drowned the child and buried it somewhere hidden. That's the big family secret. Shelley learns of it. It's horrifying for everybody involved. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Vince eventually shows back up drunk. Dodge proclaims his last will and testament, giving Vince the house and dies. Father Dewis and Shelly run off from all the family craziness. Uh, Bradley has crawled off because people have stolen his legs. Haley has gone back upstairs and seen the bumper crop of corn in the backyard is indeed real. And then in that uh, just impactful, stark crazy image that defines the play in the last moment Tilden stumbles into the house covered in mud and dirt clutching the corpse of a baby yeah now that was a very detailed synopsis more than we would usually do but there are so many wild threads and images that run through this play that for us to have a chance at catching some of them we have to be upfront about what it what actually goes on in this wildness yeah, I agree. That I I think that this play this play has so much kind of backstory and subtext in it that gets sussed out through the action of this play, and it's a beautiful slow reveal uh, throughout, like from the beginning of the play on through pretty much till the last three pages of the play. There's this this mystery, this this per, pervading sense that something is amiss in this house. Even even to the first, like right away at the first scene, there's this talking happening. The interestingly, uh, much of the dialogue happens with one party off stage. Um, uh, someone is on stage yelling to someone off stage, and and the a lot of the the conversation ends up happening this way. It, it makes you feel a little unsettled watching it. You can't I agree. see the voice. I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to ask you about that too. This happens a couple of different times in the play. The most extended one is the first act of the show, where Haley's upstairs in her bedroom, Dodge is in the living room. Eventually, Tilden joins him, and Haley and the people that are in the living room are have an extended conversation. Actually, most of of act one is mm-hmm. done this way. And then it occurs similarly, although in a shorter way later on, the house has a, like a screened in front porch attached to it. And yeah. oftentimes I think actually in both subsequent acts, someone is on that porch in a way that you can kind of see them sort of through a screen door, sort of off stage. And they have an extended conversation with somebody or a group of somebody's who's in the living room. It's a interesting theatrical mechanism i would guess that if i were in a playwriting class and i had written a scene like that my playwriting professor would go why does why does this person off stage isn't this a little bit weird right now sam shepherd of course is brilliant so what's the brilliance here what does this do for the scene you talk about it making you feel sort of unsettled yeah, I can I can talk about what it did for me at least. It, it the unsettling of aspect of not being able to see the person both both as someone who consumes plays, a lot of plays. Um it's a pretty subjective thing. All of a sudden you're all these doubts began f- filling my mind. I started thinking like, okay, which of these characters is a ghost? Cuz <laughs> Because, like, you're not sure. (laughs) They're all ghosts, Jackson. That's the metaphor of of the play. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it could be. I mean, honestly, the. (laughs) I mean, it could have been. I don't think it is the metaphor of the play. But, like, halfway through the play, I was not sure who was actually real because so much of these characters refuse to engage, refuse to look at people sometimes and refer to other people when they're out of the room. When someone is upstairs or someone is out on the porch, they are yelling at each other between rooms. So so the question in my mind becomes like, how are... <laughs> who is actually being present? And I think that's part of the dysfunction of the family is that there's a lot of people who are not at all present, though that none of them are ghosts, alas. Right. I think you're exactly right. There is a physical distance that is put right away in the play between Dodge and Haley, between this married couple. There is a physical distance placed between them. This extended conversation happens in a way that they're not face-to-face, in a way that they can't really connect. And in fact, we the, through the course of the conversation, they have a very hard time connecting. They often can't hear one another very well. They often have to repeat what they said. They're often missing interpreting what the other has said they miss a lot of the subtlety for example at one point Haley has said something to which Dodge has Dodge has responded oh that's amazing and Haley yells what and Dodge very sarcastically goes it's amazing (laughs) and Haley goes right on I think probably missing because there's no face-to-face there's not great hearing involved I mean these are both older people too missing the way that Dodge intended that statement to come through 
Mm-hmm. Even down to there, there are scenes. So that that's an extreme example of people physically not being in the room with each other and having the open door to uh, having some. Uh, there, there's a, a bunch that Dodge does in that scene of like he, he, you know, he has a drink halfway through the conversation and uh, and tries to hide the bottle because she's not in the room. But that happens when people are in the room as well. Like people will. Uh, this this happens a lot when Vincent comes home. Uh, once Vincent crashes into the scene, there's all sorts of disassociation. He's desperately trying to get people to acknowledge the fact that he is either, you know, Dodge's grandson or Tilden's son. And Tilden just does not seem interested at all in connecting with him initially. He's kind of focused on, on, uh, on Shelly more than he is. Hands of carrots. That's the, I yeah. forgot to say that in the synopsis in the second act, he comes in with a, an armful of carrots rather than corn. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 I mean it's it's deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> At least it is it, was it for is. me. There's this this I don't know, I don't, it's an English saying, I guess, two ships passing in the night, which is meant to refer to the ways in which people can talk to each other and not be talking about the same thing at all. There's mm-hmm. some kind of a conversation happening, if by that you just mean that two people are talking, but they are not talking on the same subject. They're only really talking to each other in the sense that what they're saying is directed at that person, but there's no response. This play is full of that. Every third or fourth page, there becomes an extended bit of dialogue where two characters just absolutely talk past each other. The most comic example of that is in Act 2, when Don just continually and pretty much only talks about getting a bottle. Whereas everybody else is trying to have conversations about who Vince is, where these carrots came from, what's the plan going on, and Dodge solidly refuses to talk about anything but a bottle. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and blaming other people for not giving him the bottle. It's 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 just a yeah, it's a masterwork in obfuscation, which is kind of what Dodge is all about. Um he is he's holding I mean, we already revealed it in the synopsis, he's holding within him this whole time that he killed the little baby and buried it and won't tell anyone where it is. He's also holding the the large betrayal as well that his son slept with his wife to have this baby. Um, so so it's it, he's got a lot going on inside of him, and he just continually obfuscates, does not want anyone to kind of trap him down to talk about anything, um, unless it's on his own terms, which he eventually gets around to. Right, yeah, he he's often the one that says something like, don't talk about that, you don't know anything about like that, we're not supposed to, you don't know, t- keep that quiet. He's the one shutting down people lots of times, except for two really important moments. The first one comes in Act 1. Haley's about to leave, and she's telling Dodge, you have to take care of Tilden, don't let Tilden out of your sight. She says, he's your flesh and blood. And Dodge says, he's not my flesh and blood. My flesh and blood is out there in the backyard. Yeah. And their stage direction is for a long pause as Tilden and and Haley and Dodge, who only at the end of the play do you realize are the three main people involved in this terrible thing, stare at each other. And finally Haley says, you probably shouldn't talk about that or, or whatever she says. And then, as you just noted, the end of the play, Dodge is the one who reveals the secret. For the Mm -hmm. master secret keeper, the master shut you down, don't talk about that person. What is it with him being the one to bring it all to light? Well, he's, I mean, surely there must be something (laughs) somewhere deep down in in Dodge. There must be something that needs to get this information out. Like, I think that's that's part of what this family is, is a, a family that has repressed something just terrible. And we see it however many years, at least six, I think, um... Or yeah, I don't I don't know exactly exactly it's, how long it's, it's been. It's pretty unclear how long it's been. You'd think that seeing the actual child's corpse would help, uh, right. if you're any kind of a medical person. But mm-hmm. the stage direction is sort of vague that it's just mostly bones and claws, mostly skeletal. So, yeah, yeah, long enough that a full decomposition has happened. I'm not totally sure what decomposition looks like, uh, or or what the timeline of that looks like. But mm-hmm. I agree that it, it it's just sort of unclear how long ago this happened. Here's my understanding of the timeline in in the events. Whatever happened between Haley and Tilden happened. Then Tilden went to New Mexico long enough to get in trouble and I think go to jail in New Mexico. Then Tilden came back. That's my understanding of how those different moments in Tilden's life relate to each other. Although yeah. I admit I could be wrong about that. 
I think I agree with that timeline. The fuzzy thing for me is where Vincent fits, fits in, because Vincent describes like a family uh, supper that happened six-ish years ago. Um, and who so knows I'm, if that really happened? Though. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's in one of the crazier parts of the play that he brings it up. No one else remembers it, of course. So, <laughs> so Vincent is the is the kind of the the weird one in the in terms of the timeline. But regardless, this thing has been percolating inside of Dodge for a long time, inside of all of these characters for a long time. And this just happens to be the day I think we 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 meet where the inciting incidents are the correct. Story storm to bring out that information from him yeah and so i think the inciting incident you might be mentioning is the arrival of vincent shelley right that this is what causes the end of the play to finally happen which is dodge's reveal i guess um i'm not i'm not sure whether or not tilden would have found the child was really dependent on whether vincent shelley were there um, mm-hmm. So I, I suppose even if they hadn't been there and Dodge hadn't had anybody to reveal the secret to, Tilden still would have found the child. And that would have been interesting. <laughs> what would have happened yeah. at that point? What's kind of interesting about, I think you're right. Uh, there, I mean, there is, there's some argument to be made that Tilden gets shoved out of the room by Bradley at one point, And in that amount of grief, he finally has the wherewithal to find the child in the backyard. But Tilden also spends much of the play wandering around in the backyard. Like, it's clear that digging. he's... Digging. Yeah, digging for carrots <laughs> and, like, harvesting <laughs> corn from somewhere. And so it's, it's, it's clear that he's, he's focused on this, and it's probably only a matter of time, even if this event didn't happen, that Tilden would have found something in the backyard. Yeah, and so there's that, which might have been the inciting incident of a different play. You could almost start a different play with the same set of characters and the same dark history with the play beginning with Tilden finding the child and seeing then what does that do to the family that this this Tilden has finally found where Dodge buried this his kid that he murdered and and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So what happens in this play then is partially spurred by the arrival of Vince and Shelley that that causes the sequence of events that eventually leads to Dodge revealing the secret. Of course, he says that he wants to reveal it to Shelley because she's a stranger because it's not somebody that he knows that he has to tell it to. It's like telling it to the wind, he says at one point. The other thing that might explain Dodge's uh, uh, final desire to reveal this to somebody is that he's dying. And in mm-hmm. fact, dies in the course of the play, at the end of the play. Yeah, there's like uh, some, maybe some remnant of like confession that he needs to have before before he dies uh, left in him. Uh, and, and certainly the, the uh, nothing left to lose is a, is a part of it as well. Um, he's something that is at the, at the core of, I think at least Dodge. I don't know that Haley shares this as much. I think it's a part of it though, is that their kids aren't taking care of them in their old age. They are, they are continuing to have to caretake their, their old, fairly old children. (laughs) I mean, like 40 years old, I think is what Tilden is. And, uh, Bradley isn't too far behind him. So, so there's this, this kind of grief that he has around, grief and frustration that he's he's being poorly care took by his kids who like you know cut his hair when he's asleep and leave bloody scrapes along his head so there's there's this frustration in him uh that's also building to this this eventual i don't know lashing out i guess is is part of what i see him doing yeah, I think you're right. And this is why I think we call Buried Child one of these kind of family plays that Sam Shepard writes, not just because there's a family in it or there's some family element, but because at its core, it's somewhat about family. And so this play especially is about kind of the American traditional nuclear family. I mean, how much more traditional can you get than an old family farmland and three sons with all the corn in the backyard in Illinois? I mean, it's about... That family, that idea of family absolutely falling apart. And what's one of the core pieces of that idea of family is that your children, especially your sons, it's a sexist idea, of course, grow up to take over what you, the patriarch, did. So Dodge is, is, lives in this world where, well, my son should have grown up to take over the farm and then take care of me and Haley in our old age. They had three sons. Maybe more. At one point, Dodge claims he's got all yeah. kinds of sons and Who grandsons. Knows? Who yeah. knows? I think he's probably <laughs> lying at that point, but a little hard to tell. So let's say they got three sons, right? They had 
Tilden, Bradley, and Ansel. Well, Ansel's dead. Uh, has something to do with the Catholic wife that he murdered, or no, not, not that he murdered. Well, well <laughs> that that's he a different married. <laughs> different M word. <laughs> Actually, she might have murdered him. Uh, yeah. It's a little bit unclear because Haley's super biased. Apparently, she never liked that woman, and so who? I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know that we ever will. But Ansel's dead somehow. Uh, yep. Happened in a motel room. Kind of a sketchy circumstance, we guess. Some, the mob might have been involved. I don't know. Right, um, right. Ansel's dead. Uh, Bradley has a severe physical limitation. He, he cut off his leg with a chainsaw and now has a false leg. And so he's not really able to farm. And he, he's not able to do much. I think he's had the, the false leg for a while, but he still struggles to walk around with it, even just kind of in a normal way. Um, and then Tilden has a pretty severe mental impairment of some kind. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's reeling from something. He has a di- almost a disassociative uh, nature about him um, as as he's as he's in there. And uh, I mean, he's he's reeling from some trauma. <laughs> and we know at least we, we can guess what a significant portion of that trauma is. Um, and and the other stuff we don't know a whole lot about. We don't know a lot about his time in New Mexico. Um, I think you're right that he spent some time in jail. Something went wrong. He got he, he can't be in New Mexico is what he says. He's like been kicked out of New Mexico. So um, so, yeah, I agree. He's 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 kind of uh, he's not a, uh, a fully present. He's not able to fully take care of, of the people around him. And so that is what has happened to all of Dodge and Haley's children. And I suppose there Haley has another child that was also murdered. Uh, yeah. The, the buried child of the title play, uh, the, the title of the play. So they don't have this traditional uh, band of healthy children who are going to grow up to make tons of money, bukus of money, they say, right. and take care of them in their old age. That idea of family has fallen away. And in fact, Dodge and Haley have to care for Tilden as if he was a child again. Mm-hmm. It's notable that this play was written in the 70s about the 70s. It's set in that time. So it's right at a time of kind of low economic uh, growth. It's, it's telling a story about a type of Americana that uh, is was struggling at the time. And it's still we're still feeling that struggle now. There's still there's still that that disillusionment of what this nuclear family thing was supposed to pay off to do. Um, and it's, and this just, I mean, this is a specifically bad instance of what happened around it, but still, I mean, at the end of the play, Vincent gets the farm or Vince gets the farm still. So yeah, like there's yeah. <laughs> kind of, I mean, like nobody signed any papers, <laughs> nobody signed any papers, but I don't think anyone's going to fight him over it either. Uh, <laughs> so, so it, it is kind of in that structure and, and, uh, disillusioning disillusioning deconstructing that structure of of the nuclear family getting into the 70s so add to that vince who you just brought up and vince has returned to his family after many years perhaps six years because this is shelly describing vince's motivation we don't ever get vince describing his own motivation very much but shelly tells us tells dodge that vince has come back because he wants to reconnect with his family he wants to his family has become important to him again, sort of out of the blue. So he's taken Shelley on this tour, partially through Illinois, through all these places that he grew up, then to his grandparents' house, and his plan is to go on to New Mexico to find his father. Of course, we know that he finds Tilden in Illinois, so they don't end up going on to New Mexico. But Shelley says that this journey of coming back is about the fact that family has become important to Vince once again. And man, does he not get that paid off. <laughs> yeah, it's a ultimate, ultimate disillusionment for him. Because I think, I mean, he's, he's clearly distraught. I think that is honest uh, to some degree from his character that he really wants to connect. And he spends, he, he like uh, makes a fool of himself trying to connect with his grandpa and father um, to the point that he like does like all these childish things to try to jog their memory because they're just, they're just not engaging with the idea that he's, he's family. And so, so he ends up like running away. Basically we, we t- said that you said that in the, in, in the synopsis, he just can't, again, this is a pattern in this family. He just can't, <laughs> can't handle the disconnect and runs off and goes and does something stupid. And so what do you think that's about, Jackson, that they don't know who he is? I mean, both Vince and Shelley are just flabbergasted by that. 
that no, not only it's not just like, oh, you look different. I didn't recognize you right away. It's like even when Vince says, I'm Vince, I'm your son, Vince, I'm your grandson, Vince. They still don't know who he is. Mm hmm. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm a little sketchy on this, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, it's a, it's a little baffling to me and I think, and I think the audience should be baffled by this. It's a weird thing. Um, it adds to the general confusion and discomfort of the play that this family would just can't recognize it. Notably though, this, this is maybe a window into Tilden when Tilden, when he, when Vince like really puts the screws to him and says, I'm your son, I'm your son. He says, Oh, I, I had a son. And and he's gone now or something like that. So there's there's a major disassociative moment around losing this this baby for Tilden um, I, to the point that he's he's not recognizing some things because I, I think that's true of Tilden. I don't know that there's a moment where he finally says my boy or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both like, Haley and Dodge seem to recognize Vince by the end of the play. But it's partially just because Tilden disappears and then doesn't appear in the, in Act Three until he appears with the child, the dead mm-hmm. child. Um, maybe Tilden would have recognized him in Act Three when everybody else did, but he's not around. So you're right; mm-hmm. we don't get the moment where Tilden's like, "Oh yeah." Right. And Dodge Dodge seems to be uh so so first of all Haley eventually solves the problem for us because there's some doubt about whether Vince was ever a part of this family and whether he just like messed up or something and came to the wrong house. Um Haley eventually solves the problem for us. She at the end of the play remembers that he was a baby, remembers that he had a beautiful uh voice and that he sang and stuff like that. So she corroborates that he is in fact their grandson. Dodge is like I guess he's maybe just like a likes to stir the pot or something. Like he's just so pained that he enjoys causing pain to others. That's kind of what I got. He is <laughs> like, very, very unloyal and very changeable. And they Shepard establishes this really quickly because in the first act, Tilden comes in with all this corn and Dodge starts screaming at him. We never had any corn in the backyard. There's no corn. I never planted any corn. You stole that corn. Where'd you get it? And then as soon as Haley comes downstairs and is like, where'd you get this corn? Dodge is like, it was a bumper crop. Unexplainable. There's corn (laughs) out back. Tilden says so. (laughs) It's like, depending on who Dodge is talking to, his loyalties and his associations change drastically. Mm-hmm. Also, th- there is one other moment uh, that that he kind of jumps into another almost personality of himself. It's towards the end of the play, and it's a pretty the stage directions at least call for a pretty strict change in his demeanor um, around a question that Haley asks him. Um, he su- she suddenly brings up Tilden again, uh, or not Haley? I'm sorry, uh, Shelley. Um, she brings up Tilden, and all of a sudden, his his kind of. Uh, cantankerous badgering about the bottle switches to, oh, shoot, where is Tilden? Um, so so there's, again, there's another, there's, I would not and be surprised. I think if it actually we- happens one more time even now that you brought that up. Dodge and Haley, or uh, Dodge and Shelly, I did the same thing as you. Dodge and yeah. Shelly at the beginning of Act 3 ha- are having this kind of friendly conversation. They're actually getting along a little bit. Shelly's made him some bouillon, and though he refused it, they're still kind of friendly. They're teasing each other a little bit. They're talking about, don't worry about Bradley. He's scary, but he's not actually going to hurt you. Joking about throwing his leg out and making him, <laughs> making fun right. of this disabled person. I mean, it just they're they're not saying great things, but it's friendly no. and and upbeat. And then Shelley says, "I spent the night in that room upstairs, and I saw these pictures. Do you remember when your wife was young and had red hair, and there was an apple tree and children?" And Dodge immediately snaps into, "Who are you to ask me questions like that? Don't be digging into my personal business and get the heck out! You're I hate you!" Blah, 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 blah. Immediately becomes uh, cantankerous, defensive, even hateful. And so he changes in that moment as well. And I don't know. I mean, he's an old guy and he's about to die. Do we chuck some of this changeable personality up to that? Certainly some of it. But also, yeah, I think think some of it is just like he is his... um his whims and loyalties change frequently <laughs> to the people that he's with and the people who can help him. But also I think that, I think that there is, there is, there's some, 
when specific things get brought up that remind him of things that he's done, remind him of things that people have done to him, those, uh, it's, I mean, it's fascinating that a writer can put that so frequently into someone. Like we're talking about him as if he's a real person, um, because those things trigger him and those, those, those trigger moments happen in the lines of the play, happen in, in his, his switch to a different tactic, switch to a different level of uh, antagonism against different characters. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And and that moment where Shelley brings up these pictures of how the family used to be, I think emphasize this point that helps to deal with a lot of what we've been talking about, basically since we started talking about Vince. This family, something is broken in them. Vince actually says that as he's trying to figure out something has gone wrong. Knowing the end of the play, we know what has gone wrong in the family. And because of that the way that this family or any family is supposed to operate has broken apart completely. It started with a son sleeping and fathering a child by his mother, and it ends with Dodge drowning that child. And it has broken the associations. You know, we've said disassociation a bunch. It has broken the ability of this family to have regular familial relationships with each other. Dodge and Haley, though they were already sleeping in different rooms, start the play at a great distance having to shout to talk to each other. Bradley, Mm -hmm. the son, over to cut his father's hair. That could be touching and beautiful as a family. Shaves him bald and leaves deep wounds in his head as he does it. Tilden, this adult man who has his own, you know, teenage or older than that son, is unable to care for himself anymore and comes back to the family as a child. All of these familiar relationships, the grandson is disremembered, uh, Mm -hmm. forgotten as if he never existed. And memories of the way things used to be when they were healthy and whole, Shelley uses the anecdote of when Haley had red hair by the apple tree in the backyard, memories of that time are, are painful. Yeah, filled filled with the the pain of that moment, pain that has never never been sussed out, never been engaged with, always been kind of bottled down to the point that people just don't know some stuff. Like Dodge, as we've mentioned, Dodge is hanging on to the information, the only one who actually knows what happened, and notably, no one's ever like pushed him to try to figure it out. To the, I mean, he's not. <laughs> He's 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 someone who needs who's dependent on a lot of people. They could have sussed sus, sus this out in some way from him. Somehow they've just decided not to engage with with that part of the story. Right. And the not talking about it surely has made it worse for them that it's lived and festered. You know, Haley, when she returns at the end of the play, talks about this being a house of sin. And yeah. for sure, she's right about that. Yeah. <laughs> Something is rotting. You know, it's it's like how Hamlet describes the castle once the all of the stuff has gone down. Something's rotting from the inside amongst this family and in this house. And mm-hmm. that's what Vince and Shelley walk kind of unknowingly into. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Shelley because we've we've talked about some of the other characters and so far Shelley is is kind of been uh she's a, she she has a lot of things that she does in the play but she is the outsider, right? Like she comes in, she's the outsider in a lot of ways. She she's comes in She's the stranger that comes to town. The stranger right. comes to town story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's a stranger in, in a number of ways, both to the specifics of the family, even more so than Vince is, but also to the region. She's from L.A. and lives in New York with Vince. So uh, so she's 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 an, a very much an outsider to both both the uh, <laughs> the way this family operates, but also to the way that Midwest life operates. <laughs> so she's she's kind of crashes into this and she experiences this family along with the audience. Uh, I think in some ways we see this play through Shelley's eyes as she is both both thrown into the mix kind of as as the, you know, um, awkward uh, partner to to a family member, but then also left in the mix (laughs) by her boyfriend and who just leaves and needs to, like, go off and work on this on his own. Right. She's essentially trapped there because Vince has taken the car. And so she's forced to 
try to do this on her own, make associations, have conversations. She's expecting, she actually says, she's expecting to come back to Thanksgiving dinner and apple pie and a little house in the country out of like a painting and a little (laughs) dog and all this stuff. And when it's not there, it's initially very disturbing to her and probably is throughout the course of the play. But you see her try to kind of build little relationships, especially with Tilden and Dodge, something like a normal relationship. If she eventually starts calling Dodge grandpa, and while she never gets to the point where she calls Tilden father, partially because Tilden has kind of is more like a child right now than he is like an, a fully adult man, she starts to care for him a little bit like a child. Sure, you can touch my coat. You can have my coat. You can tell me anything you want. Is there yeah. a secret? Is there something hurting you? And so she is the one that starts to dial back in on, is there some kind of normalcy that I can establish? Mm-hmm. And, like, just what happened here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Shelley's a fascinating character to try to justify because, I mean, this is a wildly scary thing, I think. <laughs> if, if you put it in real life, like, especially... As, yeah, if you put it in real life, it's 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 terrifying. You're suddenly left in a house with two guys that you don't know at all, and then a third guy shows up. They're all, like, somewhat related to your boyfriend. Like, that's a terrifying situation. And yet she... She, like, engages with this story in such a way as, like, she intentionally attempts to make relationship with these people. People that she's known for hardly any time at all. That's a, It's a fascinating character trait to try to work with. And then, of course, when that doesn't work a couple of times, and the weirdness, the brokenness, the rotting, festering world of this family continues, it's it's quite painful, right? When Bradley comes over and she can't, she tries that, right? She says, what can we do to take care of Dodge? What can we do for this guy? He's hurting. He's painful. Why don't you and I work out a solution together? And instead, Bradley sticks his fingers in her mouth. Yeah. And it's a- that That's painful and hard. Right. Oh, yeah. It's it's a terrible scene. It adds to the 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 general discomfort that you feel throughout this play. Like the that scene, the end of that scene after Vince leaves in general is uh is just it continues to add to. I like that you're using the word rot. This this it just continues to show off this family is rotting. Um, to the point that the only person who seems to kind of be on uh Shelley's side is Dodge, and and Dodge through through some you know kind of antagonistic cantankerous seems to have some sort of like parent fondness towards her eventually throughout this scene to the point that where he tries to intervene against Bradley who's like telling more of the story than he should and like being uncomfortable against who? Tilden is telling more of the story than he should and and sitting yes thank you thank you uh, to Tilden but he like gets up and starts hacking out his lung and falls and collapses on the floor so the one ally even of of Shelley in this scene is his like comatose And then as the weirdness continues into Act 3 and Haley arrives back and doesn't really have many questions to ask Shelly about who are you and why are you in my house, she's dealing with everybody else in the room. Shelly finally says, look, I'm I'm here. I'm a real person. I'm trying to do normal family things when I showed back up. Don't you even care who I am, why I'm in your house? For some reason, that being almost ignored is the final notch in the weird pin that causes Shelly to find finally have some sort of an outburst to anybody but Vince. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene is weird. We meet another character that hasn't been around for the whole play. Father Dewis comes in, who's like this Protestant pastor in town, who's somehow still called Father. Um, and <laughs> and uh, he comes in and he's like interacting with the scene. He's also not, doesn't seem to be terribly worried about the fact that Shelly is there. So it's, it's just like, I, I agree that it's kind of the final notch. She ends up stealing the leg finally, Bradley's leg, um, in kind of this, this attempt to get someone to pay attention to her. Uh, as she's, as she's, yeah, she's plopped in the middle of this family explosion. So one of the things that this play is known for is the way that Shepard has swirled together lots of different dra- uh, genres. In one sense, it's a it's a pretty standard, realistic family drama. And then in another sense, it has this kind of higher world of symbolism and um, not quite magical realism, but 
something like surrealism. I mean, there's this whole element of things that happen that are odd and outside of anything that resembles regular family drama. I want to talk about a couple of those images as they appear throughout the play, Jackson. We can just maybe ping pong some as we come up with them. One of them is this moment at the end of Act One where Tilden has been shucking all this corn and now with all the the husks of the corn, he takes them all and buries Dodge in the husks of corn on the couch. And only Dodge's head is left peeking out. And that's the final image of Act One. Tilden having stolen Dodge's bottle, drinking the bottle of whiskey, and Dodge buried up to his neck in corn husks on the couch. Mm-hmm. Another one uh, also is done to Dodge at the end of the second act. Uh, Bradley is holding this coat um, that was given to uh, given to Tilden that he left behind, but he's holding it up over the top of Dodge, and he ends the scene by like dropping the cloak over the head of Dodge and like leaving his hands up in the air as if he's still holding the cloak. Right. Yeah. And and even actually the image of this coat remaining on Dodge's head and chest kind of covering him sort of burying him and it's actually another burying another burying yeah he gets buried under this coat he buries himself under a blanket at a number of times in the beginning of act one Haley again yelling from upstairs she's finally come down the stairs and she's dressed head to toe in black funeral garb and is Mm -hmm. off to see who Dodge refers to as her boyfriend Right. Yep. And then she returns wearing like really bright colored clothing. Uh, I believe yellow and like flowers and stuff like that. The flowers are the other one. Act three has this bouquet of flowers that is kind of repeatedly used almost surreally by characters to, I don't know, comfort. They smell them frequently. They're wandering around the space with this bouquet of yellow roses. Right. And then the image of once uh, Shelley steals Bradley's leg, Bradley just laying on the couch with his arm outstretched, not doing anything, but just trying to stretch his arms kind of towards the leg. Mm-hmm. Give me my leg back. Give me my leg back. And her holding a person's leg right. up in the air away from them. Yeah, it's like a it's it's a it's a naturalist play that like steps into mythic mythicality somehow. <laughs> like s- that some of the characters end up being almost like uh, Greek fable characters. You know, this 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 you can picture uh, a play like Metamorphosis having this character who can't leave a couch who is constantly stretching out towards their severed leg or something like that. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's there's strong strong symbolism in in unrealistic symbolism. You know, you think about a play like August Osage County, another family drama about a family sort of rotting from the inside, and there are symbols in that play, like the fact that the window shades are drawn over the whole house, things like that, but there are things that fit within the realistic context of the play. Burying your father in corn husks on the couch (laughs) is not, like, doesn't fit within the realistic framework of the play. It steps into symbolism away from the realistic family drama we've been seeing. And so we sort of live in these two worlds, as you described, the kind of mythic image-heavy world and then this family world. Mm-hmm. And it just, I mean, it keeps piling on, too. When Vince eventually comes back, he's like throwing bottles that he's drunk of alcohol. And there's so many. Like, so many bottles. <laughs> it's like something He shouldn't like, be standing. No. Or driving. Or driving at all. <laughs> it's something like eight different, uh, there's eight different beats where he's throwing a bottle against a wall. Um, he's singing the 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 Marines uh, anthem and throwing throwing the bottles against the wall. So so it's like, it's you kind of have to keep buying in a little bit to this almost surreal nature similar to true west right like like it's it's a through line for for uh these these family plays of sam of sam shepherd that you continue buying into just the what what is this family who are these people <laughs> throughout the play and then of course there's perhaps the major image of the play which is the fact that this corn and these vegetables the backyard has become this fertile land of crop once again and i only mention that because it's related to the image which is tilden bringing on the corpse of his baby now it's never very explicit but i mean i think it's fairly implicit the association we're supposed to make somehow the burying of this child in the backyard has caused the ground to revitalize. Right. 
some I mean it's it's kind of a it's it's the last beat of the play. It's like something uncomfortable that you think about when you're, you know, getting a drink after the play and sussing it out. But there is that symbolism symbolism of some sort of new life has happened. Now, who's going to pick up that new life? How How is this, you know, sacrifice of one life for this new life okay? All of that is not uh, necessarily addressed, but uh, but it is uh, uh, brought up that, that somehow something has been revitalized by, the, by this child. And so this is what Haley says at the end of the play. These are the last lines of the play. As this is happening... Uh, Dodge is dead on the floor. Vince is now laying on the couch where Dodge used to lay because the house is his now with the with Dodge's blanket on him. Tilden is carrying the corpse of the child he's dug up. He's covered in mud, carrying the corpse of the child up the stairs towards Haley. Haley is again back upstairs narrating from upstairs. This is what she says. You can't force a thing to grow. You can't interfere with it. It's all hidden, unseen. You just got to wait till it pops up out of the ground. Tiny little shoot. Tiny little white shoot. All hairy and fragile. Strong, though. Strong enough to crack the earth, even. It's a miracle, Dodge. I've never seen a crop like this in my whole life. Maybe it's the sun. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. So what is... (laughs) Like, just what? (laughs) I mean, how does... There's a connection being made there between things that are hidden... And compressed as being hmm. the, okay, the fodder yeah, yeah, yeah. for something to grow, and the what has grown, I guess, is this this backyard full of crops. It's a little unclear how that metaphor layers itself onto the family into the because, family. Like, right? <laughs> this hidden thing has rotted and destroyed them. I'm yeah. not sure anything good has grown from that ground. Right. I I think that's that's the. I mean the the. Uh, frazzled cord in me at the end of this play is like how is it what what is this family even now it seems like vincent has not uh instead of like bringing some level of sanity to to the family he seems to have uh bought into the insanity it seems like something has happened here that has furthered the trauma to him and now he's going to just I don't know, like curled up on the couch with with his dead grandfather's blanket. That seems to be like an accepting of the mantle of of insanity. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I love the way you said it. Vince buys into the insanity. Different characters have different reactions. Both Shelley and Father Doers, again, n- probably notably, they're not flesh and blood with the family. They're they're the unrelated characters that we meet. Flee back into the world of sense and reason. But mm-hmm. Vince buys into the insanity. He becomes one of them. In fact, he even says, I have to stay. This is my flesh and blood. This is my mantle. This is why, you know, I, I'm part of this family. I have to continue things on. And he yeah. becomes the new Dodge. Yeah. He even tries, he says. Like, the, the time that he's gone, he apparently drives all the way to Iowa and gets to Iowa and comes back. And and at, when he comes back, he says, I tried. You can try to run away. He's talking to Shelly at this time. You can try to get away, but it will follow you. There's no way you can get away from this. Now, whether that's true or not, or whether it's just true for him, because, again, he's he's got this in his blood somewhere, um, he believes it. He believes that he, he can't get away from this. And so at the end, acceptance seems to be the only way forward for him. So whose story is it, Jackson? We like to ask this this question of plays where the protagonist is a little bit unclear. And I would say that's definitely true of this play. Whose story do we follow throughout? Whose journey are we on? I mean, all the characters have a journey, of course. Mm-hmm. This one is complicated because I would say that we see the play through the eyes of Shelley in some capacity. Um but Shelley is, is I mean, normally we tend to identify the scenes where people are out of the room to help with this question. Shelley's not in the room for the first, most of the first act and for the end of the final act. Um, so that, that makes me think that it's kind of, it's kind of this family. I feel like this family is the tragic hero <laughs> of this tragedy because uh, it, it, it doesn't end better for them necessarily. We don't come out of it uh, with any with any uh, sense of <clears throat> any sense that the individual people within the family are doing any better. But now the truth has come to light. The truth has been kind of revealed, and something good has but happened. Only to people who aren't. Around, you know, like what does it yeah. matter if Shelley and <laughs> Father Dewis know the truth? Vince doesn't. He's not around for the reveal. So it's, it's and everybody true. else in the house already knew what happened. 
I think I think some of it is is in the vein of that extra play that you're talking about, the play after this this play that finally Tilden has something physical that he knows happened that Dodge can't avoid, but Dodge is dead. But so so he can there there's the opportunity for something new to happen, for something new to grow. It's, it's interesting that where he's carrying the baby is up to Haley's room. Yeah, like mm-hmm. he's he's there to show it to her. Maybe they're gonna try to recover. Some 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 from the grief of the child of theirs being murdered. I don't know. Yeah, the play doesn't end hopeful. I think you're right. It ends with that kind of hopeful line from Haley. I think she she is trying to describe some hope of something growing, but it's juxtaposed with the rotting death below her that she's Mm -hmm. lifted herself out of and is away from, hidden up in her white castle of her room. Right, right. The other character that I would that there's an argument around is Vince, but Vince. Pulls out in the last like yeah, two he, pages of the not, plays. He's not on. He's not in the play enough. I think for it to be Vince's play. I yeah. think. I think you're. I think you might be right. First of all, that this might be one of those rare cases where a group of people is the journey. The journey is what is going to happen to this whole family as a result of what happened. But let me make a case also for this being Dodge's story. Sure. On stage, beginning to end, even as a corpse at the end. And the play is about what Dodge has done. The play is about, in the beginning, him hiding what him has done and the secret festering and causing the family relations to fall apart. It's about something new coming into Dodge's life, this young stranger. He doesn't go anywhere. He describes at the beginning of the play, he never leaves the house. He doesn't meet strangers. So when someone new, someone outside of the family comes into his life, that changes things for him. It's about him letting the secret out where did he put the child he'll finally tell people where the child is and it's the last thing he does before he dies Mm. that's a i like that as well i think that if anyone goes on a substantial journey it is dodging this play um it's it's hard because (laughs) he's he's a he's a strange character throughout the play right like it's you need the perspective of the whole play to watch his journey because he is such a, a screwball throughout the play. But I think, but I think I would be, I, I would, especially having read this play now, I would be so excited to then go and see this play because some of the, some of the journey, some of the uh, empathy, I think comes in character work and delivery for these characters. Yeah, there's a great audio booked version, as there often is, for sale on latw.org. LA Theater Works does a great audio version, and that helped me a lot in finding the humanity in Dodge that's a little bit barren on just the lines of the play, just the script itself. But Dodge, I think, he's the one whom everything here hinges on. He's the one alone at the beginning of the stage, and then we see how his decision to murder this child, the consequences that has had, and him separating Haley and his wife, his son Tilden, coming back to him almost as a child again, having to re-care for them. He's the one for whom the the failure of the American family is most prominent. In his sick old age, nobody's really there to care for him in any kind of a serious way. He's also the one who manifests in himself the rotting that the family experiences, right? He's the one who's sick, who's dying literally from the inside out, just like the family is. Hmm. That's 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 an excellent point. And then who at the end literally just divests everything, like tells the whole story, gives all his stuff away, <laughs> at least vocally, um, and passes on the story to someone else to try to carry on. That's what I... But there's lots of other characters to make a case for, and Shepard is genius genius level writer in terms of the character journeys i mean you think about true west even the mom who's only in the last scene for like three (laughs) or four pages has a pretty incredible journey to go on and i think we talked for 15 or 20 minutes just about the mystery of where she's been and what Mm -hmm. she believes is going on in the world shepherd is so good at investing characters and and every character in buried child is on this substantive journey changes from beginning to end in a serious way and that's part of the genius of the play you leave in a very different place than you came in yeah you could write a fascinating discursus on any of these characters down to father Dewis. like father Dewis even goes on a very short like 
10 page journey, but he comes in feeling pretty good about himself and he leaves saying, I am not very good at this. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so I agree. There's so many good, uh, so many good journeys and, and interesting conversations to have around these characters still. And now that we have gotten to that part of the conversation, which we typically have near the end of our conversation, it's probably time to wrap up. Yeah. What a great play. What so much, there's just so much to talk about. And as we often <laughs> feel like, man, we just barely scratched the surface of the great conversations that could happen around this image rich play. Yeah, so if you have more to add to this conversation, we'd love to include your perspective as well into this play. This this play by one of America's great playwrights, Sam Shepard. If you have been in this play, read this play, uh, you know, seen this play somewhere, we'd love to hear your perspective as well. And you can give that perspective to us on any of our uh, social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, all the usernames there are at NoScriptPodcast. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on any of those sites, and we would love to keep talking about Buried Child with you. That's right, we would. You can tell your friends about it, though. If you don't want to email us, email somebody else. Right. Put it in an email, put a link to this episode or other episodes that you've liked. You telling people about this podcast is one of the ways that it continues to grow. You can share it on your social media, just tell friends about it. We believe you probably know somebody that likes scripts as much as you, so pass on the podcast. That would be a huge help. Anybody you're telling to find the podcast, they can find it on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google play yeah so until next week when we're coming at you with another play for another great conversation around plays i believe i'm jackson nikolai i'm jacob mann christensen thanks for listening to no script the podcast we'll see you